0: Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 3, Marshal Kellerman, Duke of Valmy, and Marshal Perignon, Marquise of Grenade. Let's begin with Marshal Kellermann, Duke of Valmy, and one of only four marshals that wasn't wounded in battle, the other three being Messina, Monsi, and Brune. Marshal Kellermann's battle record as commander was a perfect three wins and zero losses, but he is probably best remembered for his victory that secured the French Republic at the Battle of Valmy. Francois Christophe de Kellermann was born on May 28, 1735 in the German-speaking French province of Alsace. He was the only son of a tax collector and merchant, Francois de Kellermann and his wife, Baroness Marie Magdalene Bondine. Kellermann joined the army as a teenager he was described as a big, hearty, ambitious man, and also a bilingual one, speaking French and German. Like all of his brother marshals, he was absolutely fearless on the battlefield, and led by example in front of his troops. In 1758, during the Seven Years' War, he was promoted to captain in the Royal Army. He was later awarded with the Cross of St. Louis for his distinguished accomplishments as a cavalryman. Unlike most of Napoleon's marshals, Kellermann had advanced towards becoming a marshal on his own before the French Revolution broke out. In 1761, he earned more recognition by capturing 300 Grenadiers and a general of the opposing army while leading a small detachment of cavalry. Following the end of the Seven Years War in 1763, he performed military training missions in Russia and Poland. In 1769, he married his wife, Marie-Anne, from the city of Metz. She was descended from a family of police officers. The couple had a daughter and one son, the exceptional Cavalry General Francois-Étienne Kellerman, who we will cover in a later episode. His wife was described as a woman of good spirit. Unfortunately, she died in 1812, eight years before the Marshal's passing. But back to our story. In 1772, Kellerman got promoted again the old, old fashioned way through hard work and merit to the rank of lieutenant colonel. For a brief time, Kellerman had a military career during a period of peace, featuring the routines of parades, troop inspections and training. But these skills would later benefit him during the reign of Napoleon when he was training new soldiers for the emperor's grand army. In 1784, he became a brigadier general, with justification in his file at the war ministry, which read, A very intelligent and well-informed officer. A good officer. Kelman knew how to handle inexperienced troops and whip them into shape fast. He embraced the cause of the French Revolution, which probably kept his head off the chopping block in 1791. He became general of the army in his home province of Alsace. The following year would see the defining moment in his career, one that could make or break him. Luckily, it was the former. After King Louis XVI of France was deposed and eventually beheaded, the other monarchies of Europe became worried that this revolutionary fervor would spread. Accordingly, the Prussian king, with the support of the royals in Great Britain and Austria, sent an army of 34,000 troops to destroy this new revolutionary government of France. Because most of the royal army officers of France had fled, been exiled, arrested, or executed, the state of the army was significantly weakened. Kellerman was ordered to stop this Prussian army, which was sweeping all formations that stood in front of it. He arrived at his headquarters in Metz and found a fortress without equipment or rations, and an army without discipline, made up of revolutionaries, doctors, lawyers, teachers, farmers, and a few soldiers. The artillery arm of the French army remained somewhat intact during the revolution. It was said that Kellerman found his army to be, quote, barefooted and bare arsed, end quote. However, the veteran soldiers and Kellermann's calm provided a steadying influence to the core of this army. The Prussian army was having logistical problems of its own, marching through, quote, rains as in the days of Noah, end quote, and starving due to lack of rations while suffering from dysentery and being low on ammunition. The Prussian king thought the matter would be over quickly and that his army could simply roll their Prussian helmets out onto the battlefield and scare away this motley force of French revolutionaries. Kellermann, however, refused to yield and centered his command on a ridge with an old windmill behind him. He ordered his artillery to open up at 8 a.m. on the Prussian army. The Prussian artillery responded in kind and a long range artillery duel erupted with the French batteries getting the better part of it. The Prussian infantry then made a lighthearted attempt at advancing under fire, but they received artillery and musket fire and their advance stalled and wavered. At this moment, Kellman, on his horse raised his hat and made his famous declaration of, Viva la nation! And the troops repeated the cry up and down their lines. These troops weren't going anywhere and it crushed the Prussian morale even lower. To the surprise of everyone involved, the Prussian commander, the Duke of Brunswick, broke off contact and retreated. In terms of casualties, it wasn't a huge battle, 300 for the French, 200 for the Prussians, but the sight of a professional military army retreating before a citizen army provoked celebration among the French troops. The next day, France was declared a republic and the monarchy was officially abolished. Kellerman's victory stabilized the new France and was considered a miraculous event around Europe and opened a new era in world's history. Years later, even Napoleon was amazed by the victory, saying, I think I'm the boldest general that had ever lived but I would have never taken post on that windmill ridge at Valmy. It was the sight of the old General Kellerman that carried the day, when he quietly got on a fresh horse when his former one was killed, carrying not a whit when one of his coattails was carried off by a cannonball, calming his troop lines after an ammunition wagon exploded. All of this breathed new courage into the masses of his waiting men. He returned to Paris expecting a hero's welcome, but was immediately under scrutiny by the revolutionary government for using terms like, my men and my army. After appearing before a committee of public safety, he was honorably acquitted. However, in October 1793, he was arrested on more trumped-up charges and imprisoned for 13 months. Thankfully, he avoided the guillotine. In 1795, he was dispatched to be the general for the Army of the Alps and briefly worked with a future Marshal Berthier, who he named his chief of staff. With Kellerman's usual gusto, he molded this army into fighting shape and was almost co-commander of the Army of Italy with Napoleon. The French government, now called the Directory, was fearing that Napoleon was getting too powerful after his conquest of Milan They propose merging Napoleon's army of Italy with that of Kellerman's. Napoleon astutely pointed out in a carefully worded reply that having one bad general is better than having two good ones. In layman's terms, it's kind of like saying a football team that has two good quarterbacks has in fact no quarterback. It means that there should only be one person making decisions as field general. The government backed down and kept the two commands separate. In late 1797, the Army of the Alps was disbanded and Kellerman never again commanded troops at the front lines. He was 62 at this time and getting a bit long in the tooth. However, a few more honors awaited him along with one major blemish on his record. Among the honors, he was made Senator by Napoleon, And then another honor was bestowed upon him when he was named one of the original 18 Marshals of France in 1804. He was deemed one of the four honorary marshal appointments, along with Perignon, Surier, and Lefebvre. These marshals were rewarded for their earlier years of service and accomplishments, but considered too old for the rigors of frontline duty. He busied himself with training and administrating the army and commanding reserve troops. Kellerman paid close attention to every detail of troop training, the qualities of dress and equipment, horsemanship training, cleaning and maintenance of muskets, and more. He received another title in 1808 as Duke of Valmy. In 1814, he was still supplying the emperor with troop reinforcements. As Napoleon's army dwindled. But he later voted for the deposing of Napoleon and became a peer under the new government of King Louis XVIII. The stain on Kellerman's career occurred in 1815 during Napoleon's escape from exile and return to power. He kept his distance from his emperor during the Hundred Days, but did not oppose him. However, when Napoleon abdicated a second time, The Bourbon royals returned and lusted for blood. The main focus was Marshal Ney, the bravest of the brave, who worked for the king until he switched sides to serve Napoleon again. The trial of Marshal Ney was handled by the Chamber of Peers. This is a laughable euphemism, since it was more like a chamber of executioners. Marshal Ney had no peer. He was, in my opinion, the finest marshal and serve France more than any of these peers. Kellerman voted for death of his former brother marshal. In fairness, four other marshals also voted for his death, including Surier, Perignon, Victor, and Marmont. It seems strange that all five men braved death multiple times in battle, and yet were afraid of what the Royalists might do if they didn't vote for Ney's execution. On the other hand, Calaman, Sourier, and Perignon were very old and probably didn't want to spend their final years in prison or lose their family titles and estates. Calaman was in his 80s at this time and retired to private life. He died in 1820 and his body was buried in Paris. An interesting footnote, though, his heart was allegedly, by his last request, taken to Valmy and buried with the remains of his fellow soldiers who perished there way back in 1792. Moving on to Marshal Perignon, who is an interesting personality because he is the least known of the marshals. His battle record was two wins and two losses. Catherine Dominique de Perignon was born May 31st, 1754, to a family of lesser nobility in Grenada, France. He began his military career in 1780, when he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Royal Army. He was considered a man of action and did less boasting than most of his peers. He resigned in 1783 due to lack of action and boredom and returned home. In 1786, he married Helene Catherine de Grenier. For most accounts, his marriage was a happy one having three sons and five daughters. Perignon supported the French Revolution and gained a seat on the Legislative Assembly. In 1792, he became a lieutenant colonel in the Army of the Pyrenees during a border war with Spain at the time. In 1793, he defeated Spanish troops at a battle in Escola. In a later engagement, he took a bayonet through his thigh as he apparently was a big fan of bayonet charges. But he led from the front and was not reckless with his men's lives. He was promoted to Brigadier General, and then a few months later to General of Division, the highest possible rank in the army at that time. Perhaps his finest moment came in 1794 against the Spanish at the Battle of Black Mountain. His commanding general, de Gomier was killed early in the battle by an exploding enemy shell. Oddly enough, the Spanish commander, General de la Union, was shot dead leading a cavalry charge. Perignon took command of the French army and led it to victory. The French lost 3,000 casualties, while the Spanish had 10,000 men killed, wounded, or missing. The French also captured 30 artillery pieces, considered major prizes in battles at this time. Later that year, Perignon was again victorious at the siege of Rosa's Fort. Perignon captured 300 Spanish troops, but the government felt his pursuit of the enemy was too slow and he was beaten at Basquera and was replaced in 1795. He was then named ambassador to Spain and helped to negotiate a treaty between the two countries, utilizing his good sense and grim determination. In 1798, While Napoleon was away conquering Egypt, the Austrians and Russians were retaking Italy from the French. The brilliant Russian general, Subarov, had beaten some of the Republic's best generals, including Moreau at the Battle of Cassano and General MacDonald at the Battle of Trebia. Perignon was recalled from retirement to retrieve the situation. At the Battle of Novi, he commanded a division But the French army under General Joubert was overwhelmed and routed by Suvorov, and Joubert was killed. During the retreat, Perignon was ridden over by enemy cavalry and slashed by sabers eight times and taken prisoner. A Russian general attempted to treat his wounds, but he refused, saying, and I quote, Do not worry about me. Look first after those brave men there who are in a worse plight than I," end quote. After a long period as prisoner, he was returned to France in 1800. Napoleon was first consul at the time and appreciated his military service and thus made him a senator, where he eventually became vice president of that body. In 1804, he was named one of the original 18 Marshals, but his was an honorary appointment and he did not receive a command of troops. In 1808, Napoleon sent Perignon to Italy to assist Marshal Murat, now King of Naples, with command of French troops stationed there. Murat probably thought he was chief informer to his brother-in-law, the emperor. Perignon was put on the retired list in 1813, and he remained faithful to Napoleon until his first abdication. But, being of noble birth and a former member of the royal army, he refused to return to Napoleon after his escape from Elba. He even tried to organize resistance against Napoleon during his triumphant march to Paris. For this, Napoleon had his name stricken from the list of marshals. When Louis XVIII returned to power, he honored Perignon as a marquise and peer of France and restored his status as marshal. Like Kellerman, he has a poor mark on his service jacket, for voting in favor of the execution of Marshal Ney in 1815. A year later, Perignon's wife passed in 1816. The Marshal passed two years after that on Christmas Day in 1818. Perignon's children were also active within Napoleon's empire. Sadly, their eldest son, Jean Baptiste, was killed in one of Napoleon's landmark victories at the Battle of Friedland. Three of his daughters ended up marrying Napoleonic generals. Another son, Henri, was a lieutenant for Marshal Murat in the uh, Neapolitan Guard and eventually became a major in 1814. To conclude, both Perignon and Kelman served the emperor well during Napoleon's first reign. But once the king returned, they returned to their roots in the royal army. I think we'll end our episode here. Join us again next time when we learn about the two other honorary appointments, Marshal Lefebvre and Marshal Serrier. Thanks for listening.